we are implementing more family entertainment concepts within our theater circuit right now here in the San Antonio area. We're, we're, in fact, in one of our theaters, we're knocking out seven of the auditoriums. We're adding bowling and arcade and all the fun stuff that people want to do to make it a true family entertainment center. We're doing the same thing in our new Braunfels location. So we know how to do that, but I also know how much it costs. And so economics will be a big driver for what we do and when. And that's exactly what I explained to our general managers too, right? We'll do the right things when it makes sense. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition. And then this week's podcast, we've got Tim Handron, the chief executive officer of Centicos Theaters, which is undergoing a big, big expansion in location counts. They are now one of the top 10 circuits in North America. You'll be hearing more about that story and from Tim himself in the feature segment of this week's episode. But before we get there, we've got Rebecca Polly, deputy editor at Box Office Pro and on the edit, Box Office Pro's Chad Kenrick here, helping us out with production. Guys, welcome to uh, this post-Labor Day weekend episode of the podcast. It was a, a good Labor Day weekend, hopefully restful. I don't know what you guys were up to. I didn't go to the movies. It was the first week of what us University of Colorado alumni call the Coach Prime era. And uh, we enjoyed a nice upset win over Texas Christian University. That's right. I'm opening this with uh, college football. That's what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, I can bring up the Mets, Rebecca. I'm not sure oh, you want me to. No, I was at the game. I, I was at a game on, on Saturday. And no, let's leave it there. All right, we'll leave, it there. leave it there. Uh, but we, we do have to ask if you guys went to the movies. We, I, I know I didn't. Chad, did you get to go to the theaters this weekend? Yeah, I saw a press screening of My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. We talked a little bit last week about how that film doesn't have the cast out there promoting it. It's a triple threat here with Nia Vardalis acting, writing, and directing. So it'll be interesting to see how that's received without the benefit of the cast out there. Yeah. And Rebecca, you were down in Dallas, Texas for Cineshow. We'll be hearing more about your reactions shortly. I know you didn't have time to go to the movies, but you did see the first entry in this Nun franchise. We have the Nun 2 coming out this yeah. weekend. That's why I bring it up. You saw the Nun 1. That Was that your first 40X or Screen X experience? I know you paid a premium for that one. That was my first Screen X. And, and actually, you know, I enjoyed, like, Distance of Dark Forests. There were a lot of scenes of, you know, set of people running around and in forests, very spooky. I think it was a good fit for that format. So, yeah, I think that and the third Ant-Man movie where it had all the kind of trippy, screensaver, fractally type images. I think they both hit quite well. The Nun 2 coming out this weekend from Warner Brothers. We'll be talking about that shortly in our weekend forecast segment. But before we do, we have to go over last weekend's numbers. And let's start off with the good news because we finally hit a major milestone in the theatrical recovery effort here in North America. The first post-pandemic $4 billion summer. That was a mark, $4 billion, that the summer box office had hit in every single year except one from 2007 to 2019. The one year it didn't hit it was 2017. 2023, outgrossing summer 2017 and returning to that $4 billion mark. Guys, such an important milestone here. And we went out, I think, with a nice, solid holiday weekend 
second highest Labor Day title here with uh, Equalizer 3, opening to $34.5 million on the three-day tally. $42 million estimate for the four-day. A nice performance, a good summer overall. In line with Equalizer 1 and Equalizer 2 in terms of box office, I mean, I, I feel like... You know, when you say, oh, we finally hit that $4 billion summer, I'm thinking like, thanks, Barbie. But that's thanks, Barbie. Yes. But also thanks to all these other films across a variety of genres and budget points. I'll say it out loud right now. If it wasn't for Sound of Freedom coming and performing as well as it did, we don't hit it. We don't cross that $4 billion mark. Sound of Freedom coming in and overperforming where we had underwhelming studio titles. We needed something like that. And I think it's not only a benefit of that title, but a benefit of what exhibition can do when you get a film that isn't coming from a major studio and you can promote the heck out of it. And it looks like that's coming up later this fall. I know uh, any of our regular listeners will know that Daniel's a big Rocky fan, but I don't know how many would know because it doesn't come up as often. You're a huge Swifty. So Massive Swifty. You need to Massive be our, our Swifty whisperer here and tell us what's going on with this release. What sort of release are we looking at? What are the records that pre-sales have broken? And what can exhibitors expect from this influx of Taylor Swift fans coming to see this concert film being released in theaters that, I mean, it's blowing up already? Oh, I mean, as soon as it was announced. So the background of all this is in the middle of an actor strike in the middle of a writer strike in the middle of what seems to be non-negotiations from uh, the AMPTP. We're facing, I think, uh, a very difficult Q3 and Q4 immediately ahead of us. We've all seen major studios like Sony and Warner Brothers already pull huge titles from the schedule. Craven the Hunter, originally a 2023 title, gone. That goes out in 2024. Dune 2, we were all really expecting to see that. Early November, I had already made plans to see it on opening weekend. Gone, 2024. And then that Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel coming in as one of the few sure things in what might be a shaky holiday season. Also gone, 2024. So the schedule is really in flux right now. There's a lot of pressure in exhibition. How do you get a major event title when you can't really depend on Hollywood? We've been through this. Fortunately, we had this come from the heavens. AMC Entertainment, which is a division of AMC Theaters, coming out with an event cinema release partnering with Variance Films on this Taylor Swift concert film, Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour, which is going to be coming out on October 13th of this year. Tickets costing $19.89 for adults, a little bit less for children. This is going to be select days, select show times. AMC coming out with a massive announcement to, to basically partner and come up with an event cinema event in capital letters for exhibition. Movie theaters all over the country are jumping to book this title. One of the few sure things we can expect from Q3 and Q4 at the box office coming up uh, uh, shortly. Rebecca, I, I have to look at this and the fact that it is based out of an initiative from a major chain, from the biggest cinema chain in the world, and smile knowing that exhibition did its job. 
industry leaders did their job. They knew we could be in situations like this, and they had a silver bullet back there. Right now, AMC really coming through in an initiative that I think is going to help the entire sector as a whole. I'm really looking forward uh, to seeing this live. It's going to be available in premium formats at uh, AMC locations, probably other locations as well, to be perfectly honest. I just saw the IMAX and Dolby Cinema announcement coming out from uh, AMC. So we are looking at a major cultural event happening in movie theaters, exclusively in movie theaters. For those of you that uh, couldn't afford what was the average ticket price for this tour, don't even, I don't even want to go near even, what tickets cost for this How many digits thing. was that? Yeah, no. I think I, I would have had to like dip into my daughter's college fund to start affording tickets. If you start saving now, when my daughter's like 15, I think we'll be able to get like nosebleeds for the farewell tour. But no, no Eras tour for me unless it's at the movies. Guys, I have to ask you, what's your connection to Taylor Swift? Because you know I'm a Swifty. I need to know what we, if you guys are. Are you a fan, or what's your favorite song? What's your era of the eras? I don't. I I have really no no connection. I, I gotta say, but I kind of do want to go to a movie that opening weekend when it comes out just to kind of see what's going on there. Because I'm picturing, I mean, Chad and Daniel, have you seen those videos of like airplanes with full of Swifties coming back from a tour, going to a tour, and they're all like doing a big impromptu sing-along? We're going to be so many cardigans. There are going to be so many sing-alongs. Like I'm, I'm really wondering, you know, what cinemas can do to kind of cash in on this merch-wise, special menu-wise. I mean, Chad, you said there's like a popcorn tub or something, like already. Yeah, it's not as elaborate as, say, the Barbie convertible or the Miles Morales mask, but it is a AMC popcorn bucket that has Taylor Swift Airs Tour and some different images. There's a collectible cup as well. I also saw on TikTok someone comparing Cinemark's bucket versus AMC's bucket and how they're different, but they look exactly the same to me. <laughs> That's organic marketing, though. That is gold. That is a great example of what Rebecca said last year, right after the Gentle Minions trend conversations about your theaters are happening on TikTok. Consumers that you want to reach are on TikTok talking about your theater. Lean into it. Ask, ask your staff. You know some Swifties. Ask your staff. Ask your kids. See Absolutely. what the kids are planning to do. So we're, we've already got, uh, you know, an AMC Cinemark rivalry on popcorn tubs for this title. I love it. I love to see this. Chad, are you a Swiftie? What's your era on this Taylor Swift universe? I, not really. I've, I've oh, not, come on. I, you guys are <laughs> killing me here. It's just me. I'm the only guy going to this. I feel like the song that always comes to mind is from that Amanda Seyfried Letters to Juliet or what is that title? Where yeah, I didn't know the that The Taylor there. Swift Romeo Juliet theme for that film. Daniel, you're just gonna have to you're just gonna have to see this movie for three of us. It might be one of my favorite songs, I have to say, <laughs> which is Love Story. That's actually the song that I serenaded our colleague and good friend Romeo Duchenne at CinemaCon during our annual final night staff happy uh, final night karaoke retreat that we have. A wonderful song, Love Story. Is it as good as You Belong with Me? No, almost, but. You Belong With Me is probably the best. That's how I became a Swifty. I remember I was getting a dental procedure uh, at the NYU Medical Center. And I, as I'm just like, just pumped up on Novocaine, I hear this angelic voice telling me about how other girls wear short skirts, but she wears t-shirts 
other girls may be cheer captains, but she's in the bleacher. And I, I fell in love. I mean, that's really, that's the moment just high off of Novocaine as someone's drilling something into my mouth that will, uh, that will do it. But yes, apart from that, I think it's, it's the country pop era, uh, Taylor Swift. That, that I love the most. The pop pop era Taylor Swift, where she becomes more of a pop star later on, is still great. It's still very good. But back to December, come on, great song. Shake It Off is the one that gets stuck in my head. I mean, that's the earworm. Yeah. You have to go into like the breakup iceberg, right? Of like figuring out which Hollywood actor, uh, either B-list or A-list, because they really run the gambit here, uh, she's talking about in all her breakup anthems. And I, I will defend this in the sense that if you guys have ever been to Mexico, if you're familiar with Mexican culture, you know that a huge part of Mexican culture are breakup songs. All of these like macho, mariachi, like ballad songs, they're all breakup anthems. They're just like heartbroken men. If you're into boxing, all of your favorite boxers, the toughest Mexicans out there, they all train to break up anthems. So <laughs> who's the best ever at breakup anthems? It has to be Taylor Swift. I have to say that. What, what, I think I just lost my nationality for saying it, but I will defend it. What boyfriend, that, not, not to play into gender stereotypes, but what boyfriend that is dragged by their girlfriend to the Taylor Swift concert film is going to like cosplay as John Mayer? Or something like that, you know, with the Harry Styles t-shirt on. Have fun with it. Yeah, yeah, you really have to lean into it. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be an event. I think people are going to be talking. They're already talking about it, talking about it on TikTok. Talking about popcorn tubs on TikTok. Thank you for bringing that up, Chad, because that is something that we do for a living. We write about popcorn tubs for a print magazine. Now we get other people doing it on social media. Who knows? Maybe, uh, Maybe we'll find some interns from that batch. Speaking of social media, Daniel, there's also an update to the calendar that Taylor Swift kind of inadvertently caused. So I'm guessing that uh, Jason Bloom and Exorcist Believer did not have any heads up notice that this Taylor Swift no. film was coming. Look, because look they what had you to, made me do. They had to move their, I love it. Uh, yep. And honestly, I was actually scared because the last time Legacy IP title from Blumhouse and Universal with an October release date sends you a release date update months before release, as happened with the last two Halloween sequels that Jason Blum produced. They usually start with the words day and date, and I I was just instantly in a bad mood. But no, uh, plot twist, it wasn't that bad. Exorcist Believer not doing day and date at all, like the Halloween movies did. I think we had mentioned that on the podcast as an off-chance possibility. But we did not even predict that they'd be running away from Taylor Swift sniping the release date. Exactly. (laughs) So to be clear, it's not going day and day on Peacock the way that the Halloween sequels did. Actually, that would have been tough anyway, because that spot is going to go to Five Nights at Freddy's. Is that Five Nights at Freddy's? What's it called? Five Finger five, Freddy's? Five Nights What's at going Freddy's. on here with that? Well, that's a, it's a video game adaptation and that is going day and day. And actually, I was speaking yes. to our uh, VP of sales, Patricia Martin, who was with me at Cineshow, and she was talking about how her son is like really looking forward to this movie is curious to see how they're going to do it. Cause apparently it's a very difficult to adapt video game per that, you know, there's, there's definitely some interest in the video gamer community. So I don't know how many of them are going to be going to theaters versus checking it out on TikTok. It's one to be keeping an eye on that and the Taylor Swift. I mean, it's an there's going to be a lot models. of innovations coming up, but yeah, I think fortunately because five nine Freddy's is already in that day and date peacock slot from universal bloom house, exorcist believer 
was always meant to be a theatrical first title. It stays being a theatrical first title and gives some breathing room to that release date. Moving up on the calendar, what is it now, October 6th that uh, Exorcist Believer Mm -hmm. is opening up on? Yep, October 6th, moving forward one week. And in the world of unpopular opinions that I have, I am a defender of all of the bad, and they're all bad, all of the bad Exorcist sequels in the sense that I think Exorcist, the first one, the Friedkin one is, I don't like to use the word masterpiece. It's as close to a masterpiece as you get. It's as close to a perfect film in terms of executing what it wants to do. But then I don't know, man, Jonathan Borman, like you'd think he could knock it out of the park. And then Schrader, you give the third one to Schrader, that doesn't even get released. That gets, they completely make a different movie for the third one. They suck, don't get me wrong, but I love just thinking about Friedkin, Borman, and Schrader coming together for a trilogy where only the first one's good and the next two are awful. Look, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little low-key upset about the missed opportunity. We just had Barbenheimer and now we could have had Exorcist and it's not going to happen. Oh, man. Because they moved it. We could have had Exorcist. Exorcist. That's what we could have done with. Yeah. Ah, oh, really disappointing. Well, maybe. Jason maybe Bloom, I'm wagging my knows? finger at you right now. Uh, there's a, there's a lot I'd like to tell uh, Jason Bloom, especially after the last three years. <laughs> but uh, this is a missed opportunity. Let, let's save it for next year. I think there's a sequel coming out. Maybe there's another tour movie coming up. I mean, we'll just we'll just wait. Not not to you know the age old. I'm not going to get into any feuds. But when Beyonce decides to do a concert film, oh, that's. Oh. I like that. I like that a lot. Let's move forward to what's coming out this weekend. We mentioned these two titles already. We've got two sequels here. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 from Focus Features uh, opening wide. We've got an opening weekend range from 8 to $13 million on that. That should be uh, not the biggest hit, but in the world of uh, specialty distribution, this is kind of like, uh, you know, mainstreamy specialty. We're looking at between 24 and 43 million here. Of course, the first My Big Fat Greek Wedding being one of the most successful independent yeah. films that, of all that, time. You can't use that one as a comp for anything. That was lightning no, in a bottle. ever, ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going back to the well for a, is there a third wedding? Is someone else getting married? What's going on in the My Big Fat Greek Wedding verse? Chad, you saw this. What, what happens here? It's a family reunion and everybody's off to Greece. Uh, Wait, it's not a wedding? wedding. There may or may not be a wedding. Oh, you just, you just blew it. No, that was a spoiler right there. All the, all the My Big Fat Wedding fan, Weddingsters are going to be emailing you furious, furious for, uh, for you spoiling that. But all who? Right. Who's going to get married? Yeah, that's, that, that is actually, okay. Okay, I like that. All right. Well, uh, probably no weddings in this one, but good share of creepy nuns. Yeah, Brides of Christ. Maybe just one. Brides of Christ. There you go. Yeah, in a sense. The Nun 2 coming out from Warner Brothers Picture, the only other wide release coming out this weekend. We've got an opening weekend range between 30 and 45 million. This one is probably going to fall short of the $100 million mark on the domestic theatrical run. We are expecting anywhere between $70 million to $97 million for this one. Listen, uh, two sequels that can market themselves off the strength of their prior titles to whoever wants to see them. So it's not a huge marketing challenge, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many nunheads there are out there, nunnies. I don't know. Is it a big franchise? The first one, I think it did strangely well. I don't know if it still is, but at one point it was. Let me look this up, actually, because it was like the, the largest grossing for a while, right? I think it's still the highest grossing Conjuring film, like in that universe. 
The Nun is the highest earner in the Conjuring franchise globally, second highest domestically after the first Conjuring. So, Hey, great. International audiences like creepy nuns, domestic audiences like them enough. I didn't know it was even part of the Conjuring franchise. They get a little bit convoluted there. They just need to, it's kind of like college football realignment there. You don't know who's part of what universe, which studio is releasing what. Look, I, I can't keep confusing. the Conjuring and Insidious franchise as part, if I'm being completely honest. So It's tough. Yeah. yeah, it's paranormal ghost stuff. But good good for the fans. Uh, good for uh, these titles coming out. This corridor in September is usually one that Warner Brothers has really great success with horror movies in. We know that the It movies opened along this corridor not that long ago, did fantastically well. It's a release date that Warner Brothers has marketed really efficiently in the past for this audience segment. And now let's talk about uh, where you were last week, Rebecca, because I was here in New York working. You were in Dallas meeting uh, exhibitors and checking out concessions at trade shows. I knew that Texas had a ton of movie theaters and there are a ton of chains, you know, that came out of Texas, but that Uber ride from the airport to the hotel, it's like you got a new movie theater every every two blocks. It was awesome. And I, I actually got to check out a Flix brew house for the first time. And man, in case, I don't know if that's ever gonna gonna move up to the Northeast here, but dang, I really, that was a, Really cool theater and really good raspberry wheat beer. They brew their own beers on site. They have beer flights. It's really fun. I, I've been to a couple of You can locations. kind of see I the casks and everything. It's like brew house. Always yeah. a, a good time to catch screenings there. So outside of the massive amount of construction and development and new locations that we're seeing in the state of Texas for concepts like dine-in, like family entertainment centers, cinema entertainment centers. What are the other big trends that you uh, walked away with from the event, Rebecca? Well, it's it's honestly, it's pretty much uh, what you mentioned. Uh, there was a lot of focus on cinema entertainment centers, certainly a lot of interest on various chains, either getting into that field uh, or expanding uh, you know, activities that they've already that they've already done in that direction. It was interesting talking to some of the uh, the representatives who were there from uh, bowling companies like Cubica, and, and they were representatives from some big bowling companies there. And, and it was actually interesting to talk to them about how their business is just absolutely booming now. Any kind of company that's involved in redesign, renovation, architecture, you know, it, it's a, it's a really, it's a really busy time for them. There's definitely a lot of interest in maybe taking some of the auditoriums from an old, you know, 14 plex, 16 plex, repurposing it into something that uh, maybe isn't so dependent on Hollywood content. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it definitely, definitely left me very, uh, it was an optimistic sense about the industry for sure. And it's really a booming leisure and entertainment market, especially for physical locations for brick and mortar over in Texas. For the issue of the magazine that we have out this month, I got to interview a representative from the Texas Restaurant Association. It's incredible the amount of growth that Texas has been experiencing over the last five years, people moving there, people relocating there, new construction, an economy, a service industry that is just creating a lot of jobs. And I think exhibition is a core part of that narrative. We know that it's one of the principal states where there is a lot of innovation coming from the exhibition sector, not only here in the U.S., but also around the world. A lot of players, like Brewhouse, Alamo Drafthouse, I mean, so goes Texas, USA. so goes the nation. Is that fair to say when it comes to the world of exhibition? Yeah, I think that's fair to say at this point. Certainly, it's really been a great hub of innovation for this industry in recent years. 
And uh, you can read more about Cineshow through our coverage over at boxofficepro.com. And for everyone wondering, what's the next big convention on the schedule here? Rebecca Pauly is going to be making her way up to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin in September for the Geneva Convention starting on September 26th and running through the 28th of this month. You can register over at genevaconvention.com. A schedule for that event is going to be coming out uh, in the coming days. Uh, it's really one of my favorite time periods right now covering this industry with that month between Cineshow. Then you've got the fall summit in the middle in LA, and then you end with Geneva. It's a great return from vacation vibe that you have in this industry. I did have a really good time at Cineshow, but I, but I will say low 90s and I, everyone just kept saying how, oh my gosh, you're so lucky that you're in town during this cold snap. So I'm excited for Wisconsin weather in September because if that was the cold snap... <laughs> Well, that is it for the new segment of this week's episode. Coming up after the break, we've got Tim Handren, Chief Executive Officer at Centicos, another Texas-based chain, another chain doing a lot of great innovations in that state, now expanding outside of Texas with its new acquisition of theaters. Rebecca Polly interviews the executive coming up after this break. All right, so congratulations on uh, on Santicos more than doubling your screen count uh, by acquiring those Amstar and Grand locations uh, from VSS Southern. I know you've been working on this since 2018, right? So well before everything got crazy with the pandemic and all. Can you give us kind of a a timeline of how this acquisition shook out, how it came to be, and, and why these theaters were fit to be a part of the Santicos roster? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, I, I joined Santicos in September 2018, and I would say I had zero experience in the theater world, so I was perfectly qualified to step in in the role that I took over here. I was actually on the Santicos board, and as we made a, a change, uh, I stepped in for what I thought was going to be a short duration. I thought I was just going to be an interim guy, but look, I've been an entrepreneur. I worked at Fortune 100 Company. And growth is in my blood. That's what you do when you're a CEO. You get the company to grow. And we started laying out strategies for growth uh, not long after I walked in the door. Uh, we had uh, actually started acquiring some properties here in the San Antonio area. We were going to build a couple of new theaters. That was all in the 2019 timeframe. And then obviously 2020 comes along and, and changed everything for everybody. But as soon as we uh, got to where we felt over the last year. The future was bright again, and it is, in our opinion. We laid out our strategy and, you know, we were financially in pretty good shape going into the pandemic, and we stayed in pretty good financial shape throughout and coming out of the pandemic. And that's primarily because we own most of our own theaters right now. So we laid out a strategy that we wanted to, you know, double in size, perhaps over some time horizon. And uh, we had looked at several opportunities for acquiring companies. And not, not everyone is perfect, right? And I think BSS Southern was not something that we set out, said, oh, we were going to go target those guys. What happened is in January, we started conversations. I've known Jim Wood, the CEO there, and Ron Kruger, the COO. I've known those guys for a few years. I know they do a good job. And as we started having deeper conversations, we thought, huh, let's look at this a little further. By the time we got to April, I went and visited seven of their theaters our COO went and visited seven, seven of their theaters. So we saw 14 of their 17. And we said, this looks like a match. This is a cultural match. This is a quality match because they had done a really good job of, you know, from a guest experience, they had reseated most of their theaters, which is great. 
So they were focused on a, a supreme customer experience, which I like. And, you know, around, around about May 1st, we kind of came to terms. And so it looks like we could perhaps get married together. And since, you know, May through really uh, the end of June, we you know, iron out all those details that happen on every one of these kinds of deals. But yeah, that, that's kind of the, the journey we've been on. But I think the biggest thing I would just say to you is it's a cultural match. And it's a, a match in terms of how we view the guest experience, what it should be like, a really, really good experience, and not just a ho-hum 1990s experience. How do you introduce yourself, your brand, your mission to these markets where you're brand new to people who maybe they, they went to these theaters before, maybe they didn't? That's a great question, too. You know, I think the our, our emphasis right now is going to be... Uh, focusing on the almost 750 new employees that are becoming part of the Santicos family and imparting on those employees first, kind of our philosophical viewpoint. It's not an about face at all, right? I think it's a, a slight adjustment in terms of how we view the future and how we advance toward that future state. So once we get our employees engaged in that messaging, then I think we can think about maybe some of the messaging we'll do in those respective communities. In the meantime, those grand theaters and those uh, Amstar theaters are very well known in their respective communities. To go and, and say, let's go change the name of those things and change the and try to rebrand those, I don't think that makes a lot of sense right now. I would rather focus on our, our messaging and our treatment of the employees first and then let the outcome of that turn into just a superior experience at the theaters that are in those new areas for us. So you're, you're keeping the, the branding at least in this initial period, you're not having to do a ton of, of renovations or, or bringing things up to standards because they're already there. It sounds, yeah, it really sounds like a perfect match. Yeah. And, you know, uh, there, there'll be a few things that were introduced as I've spoken with some of the, you know, I got to meet with all the general managers here in the last couple of weeks. And I would just tell you, I, I believe they're pretty excited about what they have learned about Santicos. They did their homework and they're they're anxious to implement a lot of the things that we've done at Santicos in some of their theaters. And I, I almost had to say, well, hang on there, guys. We're not going to go quite as fast as you want to go. We got to figure this out first. But you know what I really love about the attitude of those general managers is, is I think they appreciate the fact that we are a theater company also. And that uh, we understand what all the things they want to do and all, and all the ways to implement those things. We know how to do that. And we're we're going to teach them the things that we've done differently. We're going to learn from them the things that they do well. You know, my belief is that we're bigger and better and stronger together than we were as two different companies. And it's pretty cool to all of a sudden we're the number eighth largest circuit in North America, number seventh in the U.S. I mean, in Santicos, I mean, you've always been kind of forward thinking. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of the cinema entertainment centers. You guys were pretty ahead of the curve on that one. And it's something that now, after the pandemic, it's being brought up more and more often as, oh, these are these are great things. We have to have, you know, more than just movies here. I don't know. Is that one, that one of the things that the new GMs are like, oh, bring in a bring in a cinema entertainment center, bring in a huge uh, bowling arcade movie theater complex. I mean, is that part of your growth going forward? You know, that's a that's a fair question. And the GMs did ask me that. And I'll just tell you the same thing I told them. We're going to have to figure this out. Those are easy things to say. But those are not trivial things to implement. You know, I got to give credit to John Santikos, the, the namesake for our company. He was the forward thinker on that back when he was alive. That all predates me for sure. He was implementing those kinds of thoughts in the, you know, er, you know, from 2010 through 2014. 
We are implementing more family entertainment concepts within our theater circuit right now here in the San Antonio area. We're, we're, in fact, in one of our theaters, we're knocking out seven of the auditoriums. We're adding bowling and arcade and all the fun stuff that people want to do to make it a true family entertainment center. We're doing the same thing in our new Braunfels location. So we know how to do that, but I also know how much it costs. And so economics will be a big driver for what we do and when. And that's exactly what I explained to our general managers too, right? We'll do the right things when it makes sense. Um, Let's do some of the simple stuff first. And those will make a big difference. And candidly, there's a lot of things that we do at Santicos that I believe are unique. I want to implement those in all of those other theaters because it will free up the general managers to really focus on the employees and the customers as their primary job not all the other things that they have to worry about today. That's what I get excited about. Can you give an example of one of those things that makes you unique that uh, if not, totally good? I'll give you some like, you know, generic examples. But if you've talked to many general managers across the country and you look at all the things that they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, right? They are chief cook, bottle washer, painter. They mow the yard. They stripe the parking lot. They, they shovel the snow. They do everything under the sun, And I think my perspective is I'd rather them really be focused on taking care of the employees and the guests and find alternate ways to handle all that other stuff that is important, but not value add from a customer experience standpoint, right? And so we've spent the last five years at Santico's kind of retooling how we operate and and taking some of those burdens off of our general managers, even simple things like how inventory is managed inside those theaters or you know, we've gone cashless at Santicas, and the fact that they don't have to count cash at a theater is big time saver. And it also de-risks the environment from a lot of different perspectives. We've done some things I think are innovative. Our new general managers have already said, when do we get to implement all that stuff? Because they they know what it means to them and their quality of life as an employee in our, in our new combined family. So, you know, there, there's a couple of examples for you. Yeah, and it sounds like that would really uh, help the the transitionary period. I mean, you're not going to have as much staff turnover as you might otherwise. I mean, people who have been going to these cinemas and, and love these cinemas, they're still going to be seeing the same faces behind the counter in addition to the same. Yeah. And if I tell you this, uh, this is truth. You know, we, we kept easily 99.5% of the employees that were already at Grand and Amstar. Um, so all the familiar faces that people have become familiar with are still going to be there. And, and I believe we treated the employees really, really, really well during this transition. Mm-hmm. So and that's going to be, I guess, your, your number one uh, priority over the next few months, uh, just making sure that everything uh, goes smoothly with the transition on, on an employee side, on the GM side, really just kind of getting a firm foundation for this new chain. Once that's set, secure? I mean, what are some of your ambitions for the chain as a whole? Are you you looking at more expansion? Are you looking at more like along the lines of PLF and and fancier tech? What what are your uh, longer term thoughts on what Santicos could be as a brand? Yeah. And I like the way you you recognize it already. So yes, in the short term, I would say the majority of our focus will be on the employees because that's how I tend to run my businesses always focus on the employees and the culture first and let all the other stuff be outcomes of that. And that will also be a long-term focus is to have that focus on those employees as well. But as it relates to the theaters that we're acquiring, you know, they, over the last uh, four years, Southern had done a pretty good job of reclining all of their theaters. They were not quite as aggressive on the uh, projection and sound front that Santicos is. And so 
with the number of screens we're acquiring, there's quite an opportunity to really improve that overall audio-visual experience for our customers that are going to be coming in those areas. We're, we're definitely laying out that game plan, even as we speak. We're already working on that. The way we do um, some of our expanded food and beverage offerings, Ron Kruger, the CEO over there, is anxious to implement some of those changes as quickly as possible and provide some broader, deeper food offerings. And even the way we deliver that food and, and you know that whole customer experience from a food we're not a dine-in theater. Grand Amstar are not dine-in theaters, but there are some innovative things that I believe we'll do in terms of what that food delivery experience can be like. The customers in, in San Antonio have really appreciated those changes that we've made, and I think the, the customers in our new markets are actually going to really appreciate the things we're going to implement as well. And that was Tim Handren, Chief Executive Officer over at Centico, speaking with Box Office Pro's Rebecca Polly. To read more about Centicos and everything else happening in the Texas exhibition market, you can head over to our website, boxofficepro.com, where you'll find the latest coverage of everything that happened at Seneshow 2023. Every Thursday, you can expect to hear from us, so don't forget to rate, subscribe, like, and share. This show is a co-production between Box Office Pro, the Box Office Company, and Record Edit Podcast. Thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.